0: Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, for the message and song, and uh, we pray that there are any lost today, that they would come, just as they are, uh, to the cross of Christ, that they would come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Be with our hearts as Christians and as a church, that as we look at your scripture, we would apply your word into our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Revelation chapter 2. In parenting... Uh, we we have all seen two types of parents. We've all seen that authoritarian, that uh, showing uh, their child very little love. All rules. All truth. No love. Then on the other side, we've seen that set of parents that uh, they don't ever correct. They're real fun to be around, aren't they? All love. Uh, just try to Talk little Johnny off the cliff, uh, and uh, even if it's just outright disobedience, it's all love and no truth. Neither works, right? I should hear a right there. Neither works, at least not for long, and neither are healthy. Well, so it is in the church as well. In week one, Uh, As we've looked through the seven churches of Revelation, we met the church Ephesus. They were big on truth and low on love. Today, we meet the fourth church in this series, midway through, the church of Thyatira. And we'll see that they were high on love, but low on truth, or at least the application of that truth. And it resulted in a compromised church. And Christ demanded action on them. Starting in verse 18 in Revelation chapter 2, we read, And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works, and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. This is starting out very well now. Nowwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication and to eat sacri- things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her in- into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds." And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searches the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you I say, and unto the rest of Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden but that which ye have already hold fast till I come." And he that overcometh and keepeth my words unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and the vessels of a, potter's, of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, and even as I received of my father. And I will give him the morning star. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches." Now today we're going to do sort of an overview of this because there, there is a lot of detail in here that we will not get to, but we want to see what is applicable to us today. We're at this halfway point through the seven churches, we're at church number four, of these letters that uh, the Lord had the Apostle John send to these churches. Now, these are more than just letters to the specific churches. We all need to realize that. Because these churches were selected because they represent problems that Jesus, in his foreknowledge, knew would be in the churches throughout this age. So that's why we see these specific churches that we see that were selected. For instance, today's smallest church that we're going to look at in Thyatira, it is the smallest of all the cities that we will look at. Yet, Jesus speaks his nearly his hardest, his harshest judgments on this church. And what do we learn from that? What shows us that Christ takes sin seriously. Sin in the church is a serious matter to God, no matter the size of that church. And he's speaking here to this church of Thyatira. Now, a quick look at this city. We've given a little sketch of who these different cities. Uh, I think it it helps us in the understanding of what Jesus is saying to them. Uh, This Thyatira, it's midway between the city of Pergamos, which we talked about uh, last week, and the city of Sardis, which we'll talk about next week. Literally 40 miles between both of them. It sits right there in between them. Alexander the Great, he created this as a military outpost to guard Pergamos. It was meant to be a bump in the road to slow down an an, an ongoing or an incoming invading army attacking the, the capital city of Pergamos. It was meant to be destroyed by oncoming military. Well, now we're in the Roman Empire. The city is still there. City that was rich in agriculture. And they they were known, they were the commercial hub of the Roman Empire for the wool industry. Okay, what do we need about that? What what else do we learn about that? They they were specifically the dyeing of that wool to different colors, known for the production of specifically purple. That that uh, wealth comes with the, that color because it was so hard to find. Royalty is always associated with purple. In fact, they would harvest just one drop of this purple dye from a shellfish called the murex and from a root in that area called the matter root. We don't really care, but one pound of that ointment would cost a 1,000 days' wages. It's expensive stuff, All right. And this is the this is, this city. If you remember to Acts chapter 16, verses four, verse 14, Paul has arrived in Europe. He's in the city of Philippi. And the very first convert that he sees in that city is Lydia, who is described as a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira. Purple was associated with the city. It was associated with wealth. And we're going to see here that there is a play on this, the riches of the world corrupting the church of Thyatira. That's the link we're going to see here. So let's look at this church of Thyatira. First, we see the position in verses 18 and 19. We look at the position that Jesus Christ declares of himself when he speaks to the church of Thyatira. These things saith the Son of God. And with every one of these letters, if you, if you remember back, this description that Jesus presents of himself is sort of a foreshadowing or it is showing us what is coming in this letter. And instantly as we see this, this is not a letter of comfort. By saying the Son of God, not the Son of Man, the Son of God, we see this is not going to be a letter of comfort. This is going to be a letter of judgment. He begins this tone with this message, because if you go back to Revelation chapter 1, where he goes through all these explanations, there he calls himself the Son of Man. The Son of Man is the description of our sympathetic high priest that Hebrews 4 talks about, the one that is there to care for us. Now, there's this notable change. His title is the Son of God, our Lord, our righteous judge, is going to speak. And when he begins to speak, he, the, the description of himself, he is saying this. The description of himself, he says first there, the flame of fire eyes that he has. His eyes like unto a flame of fire, it says. This is an indication of the Lord's view. If You can imagine the fiery eyes. Have you ever had, we looked into somebody's eyes and it just looked like they were peering into your soul? Have you ever had that before? Okay, just me. All right. Very good. Somebody's looking at you and you just want to pour out everything. Well, this is sort of that mentality where he, he is looking into this, the penetrating view of Jesus Christ. He can look through all of the charades that we are, have going on in our life. And he sees down to our heart and he sees into our motives. And he is God and he sees what is going on in our lives, both good and bad. And the life of our church as well. And he's speaking to them with this flame of fire in his eyes. And it also then describes him as having feet of fine brass. Now, this is the only time this term is used about Jesus Christ here in Revelation. But the feet of brass, brass always speaks of judgment. If you remember when we were talking about the sacrifices a month or so ago, and we talked about how they would go into the the temple, that the Israelites had. And each of the pieces of, a, of equipment or furniture in there were built out of specific types of metal. The majority of them, any of them that dealt directly with honoring and serving the Lord were made out of gold. But there was one piece and all of its furnishings that were made out, was made out of brass. And that was the altar, where the sacrifices were made, where judgment occurred. And brass is an indication of judgment here. Speaking of that, First Peter 4.17, it makes sense that this would occur, him speaking to the church, because the Lord says, for the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin with us, what shall, be, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? God always starts with judgment with us, with His children. He always starts here with us. So the Lord looks to the church, and we, have, we are to be the instrument. We are to be the witness for Him around this world. And if we allow, if the Lord, if we allow sin in our life, the Lord takes that very seriously in His church. Because when we compromise our witness, He will not allow that to continue. Now, this is the, this is the picture He presents of Himself. But then we get to verse 19. And verse 19 somewhat feels like a paradox to what he was just talking about. After describing himself with this vivid and powerful terms, he then commends them for the things that they had done. It shows us here that the Lord really does see everything. He sees both the things that need judged and the things that are being done by the faithful. It's not just one-sided. Don't look at God as as this somebody up there wanting to hit us on the head. That is not it at all. He loves us so much that he came and died on the cross for our sin. But he does see both sides of this, and he commends them for four things. He commends them for, first, their charity, this giving and vibrant love for each other in the church and for others, I'm sure, outside the church as well. He commends them for their service and their patience and their works. Now here's the part that I find that's applicable for us today. Is look at the end of that verse. And he says, he ends it with this, and the last to be more than the first. This church was not a, just a group of, uh, just a flash in the pan with their faith. That's not who these people were. After their salvation, it wasn't that they were doing some things great and then they, then they got cold and their devotion to the Lord and the church just waned away. That's not what we're seeing here. He commends them that what they were seeing now was better than what they were doing before. Jesus commends them for being fervent and active in their faith. And they were, a, they were more than when the church first started. They were a 2 Peter 1 church that was adding to their faith. Where it says, and beside this giving all diligence, add to your faith. Virtue, Add to your virtue, knowledge, Add to your, and to your knowledge temperance, and to temperance, patience and patience, godliness, and to Godly godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For in these things, if the, for if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior of our Lord Jesus Christ. A church that was growing, they were adding to their faith. And I pray that that can be said of Friendship Baptist Church. You, me, us as a family, a body of believers. But as you see in that verse of 2 Peter, it tells us they were deliberately growing. It was intentional. They were adding these qualities of the Christian faith into their walk. The Holy Spirit was being allowed to work in their life. They were walking with the Lord. Can you say in your walk, can we say as a church in our walk that we are more now than we were when we started? Can you say you are farther along that path, growing in your walk more now than you were when you were first saved or five years ago or ten years ago? Just because we reach a certain age and we might retire from our workplace doesn't mean that we retire from our walk with the Lord. Just because we, we graduate from high school and we're no longer in the youth ministry and we, we now go into the work world doesn't mean that we stop our, our Christian growth then. It doesn't matter what our age, we continue to grow. And I ask you this question, can you say that? Now, put aside any fake humility here because... It is your charity, your service, your patience, and works are more now. It's because God has been doing a work in you. You've surrendered your life to the Lord. And God is leading in your life. That's a wonderful thing. And that's what we all should be aiming for in our life. If you can't say that your walk is more now than when you started, it's time for you to surrender to the Lord. The Lord wants to be more than just your Savior. He wants to be more than just the, 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 the opportunity to spend eternity with Him in heaven. He wants to be your Lord today. He wants to guide your life. He wants to lead your life. He wants to provide for your life. He wants to equip your life. All of those things as we follow Him as the Lord of our life. And I want you to let that sink in as we go through the remainder of this. Allow the Holy Spirit to marinate that around in your mind and your heart. Have you surrendered to the Lordship of of Jesus Christ? Now, remember at the beginning of this, I gave you the parent example of all truth, no love, and no love and all truth. And here's where this letter takes a drastic turn. There were good people in the church of Thyatira, but they were... All charity and no truth. It had gone too far. The situation that was going on in this church had gone on too long, and they weren't dealing with a major problem. Specifically, they weren't dealing with a specific person. Problems are easier to deal with than a specific person. And it was causing them to go away from God's truth, and people were being destroyed because of it. And we see here in verses 20 through 23 the problem that was going on. First, I want us to see the church. It says, first thing I I want you to see before we get to this issue, Jesus says, I have a few things against thee. He's not talking to this lady yet. He says, I have a few things against thee. This is the word thee. It is singular. This could have been talking to the whole church, but more than likely as you read this over and over, the context shows that he is, this is directed to the pastor or the leadership of the church. He says through this letter, unto the angel of the church, this is why I think many times this is more speaking of a pastor than a phys- physical angel, the spiritual angel there. Unto the, church, the angel of the church, I know thy works. I have a few things against thee. The Lord was holding the leadership accountable in this church for not dealing with the problem. That was wide open. Everyone knew about this. This was open and it was destroying families. Now, we don't know why it went on so long, but it was destroying the church. It was destroying their witness. It was destroying the lives of people in the church. Uh, Were they putting their heads in the sand, just hoping it would go away? You ever done that before in your family? You just put your head in the sand for a while, and you're like, oh, I just hope this blows over, and they they come to their senses, right? Sometimes you do that. What It might have been going on here. They didn't want to see confrontation. Not many people really like confrontation. It's like, hey, I'm just going to go cause some issues today. No, No one loves that, all right? Was it the prominence of this person, this, this woman that was causing them to cower had the fear of man, basically? Did they lack maybe understanding and discernment of what really was going on, the severity of this issue? Had they maybe just tried to show some long-suffering and patience and it went on too long? We don't know. It doesn't tell us. But we do know that God was greatly displeased with their inaction. And judgment was about to be delivered by the Lord. So we see the church. Now we see the the, the culprit here. He says, notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel. What's this description of her? Which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servant, to fornication and to eat things sacrificed to idols. Here is the crux of the problem. A woman Jesus calls Jezebel. Now, this was probably not her real name. No one names their child that, all right? <laughs> but it was an implication of what she was doing. Now, Jezebel in today's mindset is it's a bad connotation. We would agree, right? And it rightfully is that way. But it is not completely accurate to the biblical account of, of this woman. Queen Jezebel, we find in 1 Kings chapter 16, was a queen, the queen of the northern kingdom of Israel. This is, we're going back 1,500 years, all right? And there was the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. And in the northern kingdom of, of Israel, uh, King Ahab, a wicked king, marries the princess of Tyre. And her name is Jezebel. And when she comes into the land and becomes the queen, when she comes in, she brings with her her pagan gods, Baal and Asheroth. And she gets the people to start to worship Baal and Asheroth. Now, what's the big deal? Because we're not supposed to have other gods. God is, God is the supreme God. There is no other God. These are all pagan gods, and God is very a jealous God. But more than that, Baal and Ashtaroth were pagan gods of fertility. And they caused, she caused the people of Israel by seducing them to forsake the true worship of God and to start to worship these pagan gods. It was idol worship, and with that came sexual immorality within the pagan temples. To the point where 1 Kings 16.33 says, And Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. This was a serious matter. Jezebel is not just synonymous with um, immorality. She is synonymous with subtle corruption, with immorality and idolatry. And That's what Jesus is calling this woman in the church of Thyatira. This is the name the Lord gives this woman. She wasn't leading them in Baal worship, but she is now leading them in the similar type of immorality in the pagan temples of that day. And the indictment was there was fornication going on and they were eating things sacrificed to idols. Now, Christians, brothers and sisters that are here, don't buy into the notion that sex is just some physical appetite that doesn't affect our life. It does. Throughout the Bible, we see the Lord warning, warning, be watchful, be careful, guard yourself. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 26, he says, For by the means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread, and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. Can a man take fire into his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one go upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? So he that goeth to into his neighbor's wife whosoever toucheth her shall not be innocent. If you remember if you've been back here on, on Sunday nights for our first Corinthians series back about a month or two ago when I was on 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and go to that I'm not going to re-preach that. Tells us that our body is the Lord's. And when we come together outside the bonds of marriage, however that might be, this is talking of adultery, fornication, but in any illicit sexual nature. And when we go, when we go outside of that in any form, we are joining our Lord to our sin. And God does not take that lightly within ourselves and within the church. And this sin has lasting effects. We have to realize that, that this has a lasting effect in our lives. It is a sin that is not strictly outside I stole something from somebody or I lied from something. But this is something that is on the inside working its way out. This is a serious sin, and the Lord wanted it stamped out in His church. What do we do today? Don't put yourself in this situation. There's a lot of situations that you can put yourself in and take yourself out of. Take yourself out of those situations. Put borders in your life. Put boundaries in your life that you know you need. Now, your friend might not need that. They might be perfectly in control of that area, but you know you need that boundary. Put it up. Stay within that boundary. The Lord wants you to to protect yourself. And this isn't being prudish. This is wisdom from the Word of God. This keeps us from burning our house down. This keeps us from damaging our bodies. This keeps us from destroying our future. We need to heed the warnings of the Word of God. Now, notice it says she called herself a prophetess. She dubbed herself that, all right? She calls herself a prophetess, meaning she knew what God would have them to do. And she must have either been well-spoken. She must have been, uh, since she was seductive, she seduced them. I don't know if that was herself physically or just what she was offering. Did she have a spot of prominence and authority? We don't know. But in either case, we see that she was using it to break down the moral barriers that Christians should have. And it was destroying them. It was destroying them. It is highly likely that she convinced them. If you were here last week, we mentioned that each of these cities had guilds where that's where, uh, you know, the guild, the iron workers and the guild, the, uh, well, we put it in today's word, the pipe fitters and the electricians and, you know, that, that type of thing. And each of those guilds to get work, you had to work with them, but they all had patron gods and they would have temples to them and they would have feasts and their immorality that would go along with that. And most likely, she is telling them that it's okay to serve the Lord and to be part of the actions of these trade guilds. Be with the Lord on Sunday, and the rest of the week, you can be with the world. Is that not the same that we see today as well? You can worship the Lord on Sunday, but on Monday through Saturday, you can compromise your faith to do what you need to do to succeed and to get ahead. Friends, I'm sorry, that is not biblical Christianity. That is not the word of God. We are God's children, and Christ paid the price of our salvation with his blood, and we are to live by faith. It tells us in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live, how? Say it with me. By faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We are not to be living two separate lives. Our singles that are here, our teenagers that are here, don't buy into the lifestyle that's promoted by this world. God has an incredible, a glorious path for your life, but we have to stay within the the framework of the Word of God that he's given us. Too many times we're portraying a life here today, and you all look great. You're portraying many times a life that's here today, but it's not seen the rest of the week. That's not how we're supposed to live. We are who we are, and we're supposed to be that way every day of our life. Many of you, the, your online presence is completely different from what we ever see. We, you, you're heading back to school, and what will you be at school versus what we see today? Many of us, will. the summer is almost over, and We are deeply saddened by that. But with that, we go back to normal schedules. We teams and activities and groups that we will meet again. Who and what will we be? Will we be the same all through the week? A servant of God, a child of God. God will not be mocked. We see in verse 21 that... In that it says, and I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. God had long suffering there, and he will always give long suffering to, to his children. But as uh, Suzette introduced me to this man, Philip de Courcy, he, he said this comment mercy rejected is judgment invited. Mercy rejected is judgment invited. The sun will eventually set on our sin. It will. You may think today that no one knows what you're doing or that you're getting away with some type of sin, but let me guarantee you, if you do nothing with your sin, God eventually will do something with our sin. And we are inviting the judgment of God in our life if we do not repent and return to the Lord. Verse 22, Jesus says, I will cast her. Jesus is going to do that. I will pass this judgment. It is sure. And if you're a person that doesn't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, God has made a way of escape from your sin through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came and died on a cross as your substitute to take away your sin. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever, that means you, believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. To reject Jesus Christ is to remain in your sin and you will pay the penalty for that sin. Separated from a holy God for eternity. I encourage you today, choose Jesus. Judgment is sure. But for us that are Christians, judgment is sure as well. Yes, your salvation, your standing with the Lord is secure. You will spend eternity with the Lord. But we are asking for the hand of chastisement on our life when, when, when we continue in our sin. Just as a, a father corrects his child here on earth, our Lord, he corrects us as well with holy chastisement. He will correct us. And we see here in verse 22, I'm almost done, in verse 22 he says, Behold, I will cast her into a bed. And we see here this sowing and reaping. We talked about this in Sunday school today. This this principle of sowing and reaping. I will cast her into a bed, and they that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. She was causing others to commit fornication. We see this. So he's going to cast her into a bed of tribulation. If you sow immorality, you will reap the fruit of that sin. You will reap immorality. Sin has consequences. Do we believe that? I don't think many times we do. Sin has consequences. But righteousness has consequences as well. The Lord will forgive us when we, have, when we do come to Him to repent. But there will be fruit, there will be consequences of that that remain sometimes for a lifetime. If you sow disobedience and you sow rebellion in your younger years, you will reap the fruit of that you will reap missed opportunities. Trouble with the law, you will have uh, broken relationships because of that. If you sow immorality, you will reap a seared conscience, diseased, damaged homes, marriages that are broken, connection with your children. That is the fruit of disobedience. And the longer a person waits to repent, the more the sin festers in our life and destroys us. So repent today. The very reason Jesus tells them is because he wants them to turn. There was time, and he wants them to turn. The Lord takes no pleasure in correcting his children, but we must see that he takes it seriously, and he will not allow the church to doctrinally become impure and will eventually take action. He says in verse 23, I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts. He sees Those eyes of flame sees. What will we do? Let us sow the fruits of righteousness. And let us gain, though, the fruit of that versus what we see here. Because he tells us, lastly, the promises. I'll just go through these quickly. Verse 24 and 25, there's rest. If you follow the Lord and you, this remnant of people that are following along, he says, I'm not going to add anything on, more onto you. There's none other burdens going to be given to you. And you might be thinking today, Keith, you've been harping on this hard. I'm not doing any of this stuff. And amen, I'm glad you're not. I, I'm glad you're living for the Lord and you're, and you're trying to follow him. And he tells us, he gives you three promises here. He tells you first that, uh, that he's not going to put any other burden on you. And he says, till I come. The first time he's promised the the is here that he's going to return. The Lord is going to return and you are his child and you are going to be with him. And he is going to give you a position of authority. Because he promises us then in verse 26 that we will rule with him. He says that we will reign with the Lord. Hold fast because you're going to reign with the Lord. There is coming a day during the Lord's reign that He will give you a place of authority, but that place of authority is rewarded due to your faithfulness. The more faithful, the more the reward of authority that He will give you in your life. But not just a rule, He is going to give Himself, the ruler, the very morning star is promised to us. Revelation 22.16 indicates that He is the bright and morning star. And Jesus Christ will be with you and the the one that is your Lord and He is your Savior and He is your High Priest and He is your Advocate and He is your King and He will be there with you now. And you will reign with Him. And for eternity you will be with the Lord that has cared for you so much that He died in your place. But He wants you to stay faithful. The compromised church The compromised Christian buys into the false teaching that we can lay down with the world. And friends, that is not true. We cannot do that. We are to be a spotless bride, the spotless bride of Christ, it calls us. Leaders of Friendship Baptist Church, we are to stay diligent. We are to have the courage to have a balance of truth and love. And that's tough sometimes. Would we admit that? But we need to have that, and we need to seek that. And we need not not put our heads in the sand if there are issues. And I don't know of, of any that are going on, thank goodness, but there will be. That's just the nature of life. And we need to handle that the way God would have us. And church body of friendship, those that are here today, may you repent of sin quickly if that's a situation in your life. Surrender to the Lordship of Christ and allow him to guide your life. Let's pray. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to the end of this sermon today, I ask you if you have, uh, Holy Spirit's been speaking to someone, that you would encourage them to respond to you that they would just not acknowledge what has been heard, but that they would respond in their heart and in their life. Draw them to you if they don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, that they would repent of their sin, that they would come to Christ as their Savior. Be with us as Christians, this church body, that we would be who you would have us to be, that we would be allow you to be Lord of our life, Lord of our church, and that we would handle the situations you have for us. Be with us now, and in Jesus' name, amen.